Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Hey there, healthcare humans. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode of The Other Human in the Room. Okay, so today um, and for the next few podcasts, I believe, I'm going to be doing something a little bit different. Um, this is I'm releasing these episodes in the summer of 2023, and um, that means that I have been releasing episodes of this podcast for about a year. Um, I should have looked back. I think I released my first one in July of 2022. <laughs> it was sometime in the summer. I released the first few without even telling anyone just because I wanted to like get it under my belt. And so um, I am planning to take some time off later this summer. And um, so there might actually be a pause where there will have um, there will be no new episodes released. And so I wanted for these last few episodes before I go on a little summer hiatus, um, I wanted to share some of what I had learned over the past year and kind of do a, a year-ish in review. I want to cover three different areas of my life. So the first area I want to cover is my personal life. Um, the second area I'm going to cover on the next podcast will be about my clinical life and my clinical work. And then the third one is going to be about my coaching work and the restorative education work as well. So um, yeah, with that, I'm going to start with my personal life and what I have learned along the way. Um, man, this year has been wild. I mean, the last few years have have been quite a scene, um, as I've shared in past podcasts. So, you know, I well, we all lived through this pandemic situation for the past several years, and that has, you know, had a major ripple effects and impact on everyone's lives, including mine. And then this past year, it's been interesting, right? Because some of that stuff, like, um, obviously, COVID still exists, but the governmental lockdowns and all of that have now been shifted to the past. And noticing how um, there's been this sort of invitation to return to quote unquote normal and um i feel like part of it the things that i really wanted to make sure that i held dear to me in this past year in all the areas of my life is to not forget the lessons i've already learned like during the pandemic i think i definitely learned how um i don't need all the stuff in order to still enjoy my time you know I also learned that anything that I thought was an obligation that I had to do, say, for family or even for work or whatever, suddenly, um, you know, an outside force says you can't meet in person and suddenly it's totally fine to cancel all of your plans. And so one of the things this past year that I've been very intentional about is trying not to get back into that, like, well, now that it's open, I've got to make sure I make everyone happy and see all the people and you know, meet all the expectations of family and friend and what friends and whatever. And I've been quite proud of myself for continuing to do that. Um, which means that, you know, um, I see people when I want to, there's times that I wish I could see people, but 
um, you know, childhood illness got in the way, but like just like having a pace that's more serving of myself as well as of the other members of my family who would be involved in making those decisions. Um, and yeah, I would say then when I think about what I wanted to do with my personal life this past year, it was really mostly about like continuing to deepen my relationship with myself, understand more deeply what I actually want as a human being. Um, because as I've spoken in the past, like so much of social conditioning and even, you know, childhood environment growing up was to sort of deprioritize and forget what it is that I want and what it means to actually ask for and go after what I want as opposed to just checking in and trying to make sure that I'm doing what other people want, like that whole people-pleasing thing, you know? And the the ways that I was able to do that this past year, one was continuing to have like coaching support myself because I find coaching is a very helpful way to like undo all of the internal inhuman stories and like so you know bringing a problem that I have like ah this family member thinks that I should be this and you know untangling how to set a boundary there or something you know coaching is really helpful for that and then the other thing that I found incredibly helpful this past year is continuing to do more embodiment work so I'd say especially over the past six months the thing that I think has deepened the most and has helped me the most to feel the like the calmest the most the more confident just to feel more like me and feel okay with that has been working with um i i hired my first embodiment coach um and she's really amazing and her methodology her name's jamie lee finch she also comes from like evangelical christianity world and you know and has walked away from that and um, I think that really helps the fact that she understands, you know, my upbringing as well and some of the religious conditioning that we both received. And as I've said in a different podcast, but just to repeat, like the, her main methodology is like that you are, you are a person as in the ideas that you have in your mind about yourself. That's, that's one version of you. And then your body that you live in is a separate person. <laughs> You're obviously always together, but like, that's like the name of, um, she calls it per, oh shoot, personified embodiment. And like the name of her course, I believe is your body is a person. And I just really think it's such a rich concept to explore. And so I've been really with her help getting to know my body as a person and, you know, my body as this person that I'm always in constant contact with and there'll be times where I'm way up in my head and thinking many thoughts um and then my body has some other opinion and sometimes she lets me know by being more tired or being in pain or being hungry and you know and then we're like communicating with each other you know um and I'd say there are there's three different kind of like aspects of my life this past year where I found that deeply helpful um, the first aspect of my life for sure is with parenting. So I have now an almost three-year-old and a five-year-old and they are embodiment person personified, right? Like, I don't think they are distinct from their body yet. Like they will feel their feelings all the way through and, you know, they're growing up and they're getting really sassy. Well, they've always been sassy, but their, their language ability to tell me what they want is incredible. And there's been so many times where I have felt so overstimulated and so overwhelmed and gotten snappy or yelly or whatever. 
And I used to like make all of that mean so much bad about myself. But now, especially having this relationship with my body and understanding, like even just understanding that what's happening in those moments isn't me like losing my temper, but just me being overstimulated, like my nervous system being having too much in it. I would say like that's like a huge, that's been a huge shift in how I parent. So I, yeah, I'd say like the, the two big things that have shifted in my parenting and continue to shift is like continuing to deepen the idea that the main thing I can do for my kids is to feel better as in like process my emotions better, regulate my nervous system better, befriend myself and my body better. So when they're doing whatever they're doing, I'm over here and I'm settled and I'm in myself. And the times where I'm outside of myself in the sense that I am snapping or blowing up, treating myself with compassion, understanding exactly what's going on so that I can reach out and repair with them later. I would say like the stuff that I have learned about parenting is like why I'm here talking to you. Like the things that I learned through the different parenting methodologies that I found the most helpful, which are really like, if you know that you're good inside and your kid's good inside, that's Dr. Becky Kennedy. Like her stuff I find so helpful. You know, you're both good inside, but you're both maybe having a hard time. And that's what you're seeing on the surface when you're snapping at each other or freaking out, you know, that means that there's nothing, there's no shame needed in that situation. Everyone can take a breath and you can come back and repair later. I use that everywhere now. Like I use that with my husband for sure. I use that with friends. I use that with any relationship I have with patients, with colleagues, like we're all good inside, you know, and also we're human beings with human bodies having a hard time. We've all had past traumas or triggers and our nervous system can get really wacky. And so we do our best in the moment, but we can always go back and repair. And I'd say that's like a deep lesson. One of the ongoing lessons I am learning through parenting is just the deep humbling, (laughs) deep nervous system work and so much repair. And then just receiving the grace is a tricky word for me, but the fact that I can snap at my kiddos, I I can make choices that I regret later in how I parent them and they still love me. And they receive my apologies with so much beauty and understanding. And it's just like, I could cry. Like, it's just so parenting is one of those things that I think will just continue to be a rich, rich lesson in my life for sure. And the other lesson that I always remind myself that's been the most freeing, I would say beyond what I just shared, but the most freeing like framework of, there's all these ideas of what you're supposed to be doing as a parent, right? Like, Are you supposed to be raising them to be good citizens or are you supposed to be making sure they're happy all the time? Or like there's all these ideas that I was, you know, handed around as I grew up about what parenting is even supposed to be. Oh, you're supposed to make sure your children, your child behaves all the time, like all of these things. But the most helpful framework I heard a long time ago that I continue to remind myself that always is freeing is with my kids, I want to be a gardener, not a carpenter. And again, I use this for everyone, including myself, including my patients, but it starts with my kids. So like what I mean by that is, so if you're a carpenter style parent, and I'm not even shaming that, it's just, I know it's not for me to be a carpenter style parent. And I actually don't think it's physically possible without serious emotional conditioning and manipulation to carpent a a child. And I've you know, experience what that feels like. So if you're a carpenter style parent, you are raising your child to be a certain thing. So that means you always have to be looking at the child in front of you 
and saying, are they how they're supposed to be? And if they're not, then you have to correct them. You have to carve away the pieces of them that don't fit what you think they are supposed to be and who they are supposed to grow into. So there's a constant checking of expectations and trying to mold them to become who you know they have to be. And if you can imagine, this can be very pain, first of all, for the parent, very stressful, a lot of pressure. You've got to figure out which blueprint you want this kid to have. Are they going to be the future president or the future CEO? You know what I mean? Like, it's a lot of pressure to even ha- think you're supposed to know who your kid's supposed to be. And then for the kid, it doesn't feel so great, to be honest, having felt it the other way, you know? So how can I have as least expectations for my kids, actually? You know, what are like the baseline things I'm going to guide them to say, hey, this is okay, not okay. You know, like in our house, it's not okay to hurt yourself, other people or property. That's sort of like general rules. But then beyond that, say you have a gardener approach. So the gardener approach still does, you know, maybe do some pruning, if you will. Like I said, hey, plant that's growing out of the ground. It's not okay for you to choke out this other plant. I'm going to separate you. or I'm going to put things in place to keep you safe and other people safe so everyone's thriving. But I have no idea who you're going to become. I'm going to watch you grow and flourish and see what happens and be so excited of whatever emerges. So I have way less expectations on my child of who they are to become. I'm going to let them tell me who they are and who they are becoming. So freeing and so nourishing, so delightful actually to approach parenting that way. And then, like I said, so if I approach myself that way, if I'm not trying to mold myself into the best person I can be, but instead getting to know myself better and seeing what wants to to emerge with each of my patients, if I'm doing that too, it's a great analogy. Maybe someday I'll have make a podcast specifically about gardener versus carpenter. But I mean, that's a lesson that I continue to remind myself of as well. And that's just a huge area of my personal life that I think has really deepened over the past year. Um, and one one example of how that happened, like kind of to give one concrete like highlight of my past year, if you have been listening to me all the way along, you'll you'll hear, I think it's in my perfectionism podcast, I talk about how I wanted to learn French. And so I applied some of the like coaching tools and got myself to a place where I'm like, okay, I'm learning more French. And I'm, you know, we had a a system in our house where there was a certain number of days per week where we were speaking exclusively French to try and immerse ourselves in French. And so we did that for a period of time. And the thing I'm like proud to announce and reflect back on is then we stopped. <laughs> and it's, it's funny. It's kind of funny, especially someone who, well, especially if you have different ideas about what like a coach is. And that's one of the things I represent myself as through this podcast of like, going for your goals and never stop until you, you know, reach your dreams. I think I would never be that kind of coach because the thing you learn sometimes when you're going towards a goal is that you, you aren't willing to do what it takes to get there. And that can be okay. (laughs) So what I learned is that learning French on a deeper level wasn't worth it for me. It was partially my motivations. I realized a lot of them were based on secretly trying to make other people happy specifically my husband because he's french canadian and i was like wow it would be so much like deeper connection if we could talk to each other in french and then i had a series of conversations with him where he's like i actually don't care if you ever learn french or not and when i felt devastated about that i realized oh i really was like doing this project in part to make him happy even though he'd never asked me for it and then explicitly told me he didn't care 
Um, and same with like doing it to to communicate with his family better. I think that would still be amazing to communicate with his family better. But I, at least in the time that we were trying it, the motivation to do that wasn't, it wasn't strong enough and it wasn't fueling enough, especially because of what it was costing, where the thing it was costing was smoother communication with my husband while parenting small children. And other kids, like I know there's families where they like talk multiple languages and everyone's good with it, but like how my brain works and my nervous system and how I'm still undoing say perfectionism and people pleasing, it was creating so much more internal drama for myself. I absolutely could have gotten coaching and support for all that drama and continued to work towards the goal of becoming more fluent in French. But there was a certain point where I said, it's not worth it. And I put it down. So I wanted, one of the lessons of this year is quit. It is okay to quit things. I actually quit a lot of things this year. I like, um, I just finished being the chair of the board of our local family health team. And that was a beautiful thing that I did for a time. I, I didn't hate it. But I'm really into quitting things before I hate them. And I feel like that's true of the the French project too. It was going okay, but I just like looked at it and I was like, how do I want to spend my energy and time in this one wildlife in this moment? And it wasn't that. And like not judging myself or thinking I was a failure, but saying this isn't worth it for me now. So I will quit this to leave space for things I actually don't want to quit. Like this podcast, like other things I had going on, right? So that... That's it. So like the lesson I wrote down was trusting my current needs without making the evidence of that evidence of my potential and capacity as well. Right. So I could say, oh, I quit French. That means I'm never going to be able to learn French. But I don't think that's true. First of all, that story is false. I literally already know French. Like I know a solid amount of, you know, basic French. So like the fact that I still am saying that I need to learn French, like I have learned French. I know some French. But if I wanted to continue to build the skill of speaking and understanding and being fluent in French, the fact that I've quit it now has nothing to do with my future capacity to someday pick it up. This is not evidence of a failure, which means I'll never have that as a success. To me, the story I tell about that is like, this was not the time. That was my time to have that experiment and to really try it. And at the end of the experiment, I said, it's not for me to continue. Maybe at some future date. I don't know, maybe when one of my kids is interested in it. I'm not sure I'm going to be open to it, but I don't have to make it mean anything that I've stopped it either. It is not, it doesn't, what I have done in the past does not determine my capacity or potential to do something in the future. So that was like a big lesson too, right? Um, so that's one example. And it ties in with the trusting myself as a parent because that's what it, it ended up getting tangled up in, right? So like you're trying to parent your kid in a language that you don't understand strongly and that they don't understand at all. And just for us during these years where the emotional regulation is really popping, it just wasn't a good fit for me. And so I decided to stop. And then, you know, independently, my husband also decided to stop. And so that means that French is not spoken in our house right now. And that's okay, you know? So that was one sort of big like project that then we let go of we actually had some other projects like we moved houses and I really learned how efficiently my husband and I who are both very high achievers like we unpacked our entire house in a single day the day we moved we just stood there and unpacked all the boxes and by the end of that day there were like two boxes left so we can get something done when we put our minds to it you know 
And so sometimes you use that. I know for me, sometimes I use that as like, then to pick up too many projects, but definitely one of the lessons of this past year was like, it serves me better to narrow down to what I really love doing and create space in my life for what I really love, which means letting go of a lot of things that I really like. And that's been like a constant sort of winnowing process of this whole year. And one thing, the last big thing I want to talk about on this one um, that happened this past year that made that very, very clear, that was not something we invited into our lives and that I've alluded to um, in vague ways on past podcasts, but now that it's at a more completed, in a, now that we're in a good place, I can share more about it, um, was that in January of this year, my husband, uh, I guess content warning, if anyone has um, sort of past trauma or finds it really hard to hear about um, cancer, um, then just take care of yourselves or maybe pause or don't listen to the rest of this episode, okay? Because the thing I want to talk about is that in January of this year, my husband was diagnosed with cancer. And um, that was not expected, obviously. And uh, I mean, it's sort of funny when I was reflecting back on what I learned this year, it was hard to remember about things that happened before that time because it was so such a shift we thought that this year was going to be finally, you know, we, we moved into our house. We we're going to maybe just take it easy. Like my husband was talking about like, oh, maybe I'll pick up a hobby now that I don't have to project manage building and moving into a house full time, you know. And then instead, um, we had the very unwelcome project of how to manage it when, you know, one of the two of you. So when Francis, my husband, had to go through cancer, which included a surgery and included um several weeks of chemotherapy and how do you do all of that with you know everything else we did have going on with two small children um with still some level of pandemic happening certainly lots of viruses flying around like how do you actually deal with that right and so um I was so so grateful weird word to say here but just uh, that this happened this year versus any past year I cannot imagine if this had happened to us a few years ago, we would have figured it out, but I would have been an absolute mess. Like I think about how I was emotionally when I was um, pregnant with Leo, our second child, and the pandemic hit, my insomnia, my intense level of anxiety, my constant checking of the news. I had like major panic attacks, including picking fights with my husband. Like it was in a very intense time. And I'm picturing like me in that kind of state, that could have been me this year again, because I would have had tons to worry about. I would have had tons to try and micromanage and be hypervigilant about because there was real stuff. Like there was, you know, viruses flying through our house from our kids and, you know, an immunocompromised husband. There was all the tasks that I therefore had shifted to my plate. I could have gotten easily overwhelmed. And I, listen, there were times where I was overwhelmed. There was times where I was anxious. There was times where I was worried. But like, say, you know, 2020, March, April, May of 2020, I was like a nine out of 10. This year, I was like a one or two out of 10. And it wasn't because it wasn't emotionally heavy. It's just because I have understood myself on such a deeper level. And I know how to stop worrying. Like, not just about my patients, but like, I know how to stop worrying, you know? 
And so I wanted to share like a little bit of what that really looked like in the context of worrying about my husband, you know, because like, yeah, I remember like the when I got the first phone call from him, he just been to the doctor and had an imaging result and was like, I guess they think it might be cancer. Like, I'm really proud of even how I handled that one moment. It was in the middle of a work day. Thankfully, like, you know, over the lunch hours when I like returned the call. And what I did is like, I turned to one of my colleagues and I was like, I think I just need to cry at you for a minute. <laughs> so I let her know and I checked in to see like if she was okay with it. She was. And so I was just like, Francis just said he has this imaging and he thinks it might be cancer. And so my brain is spinning and I'm already in the 50 million places. And we just like talked it out. And she was, so, I'm so grateful for her to, for how she was able to receive and was just, she kind of was talking it out with me and like, could it be this? And could it be that? And we slightly medicalized it, which was just honestly helpful because you're not just one thing people have asked me so much is like how do you separate being a doctor or versus just like a wife and you're like you don't you're the same brain like there's no separation right so your brain has all the same knowledge it had it's before and now you just are applying it to this person that you love so much right and so like talking that out and kind of like thinking it through and then feeling settled and then so like that was just a first piece. And so like other times that would come up and I would just say, I need to talk to someone. And like I would I would give myself space to talk it over, not think it was silly or I was burdening people. I would ask them. And if they said no, no one said no. But like, you know, I would see if people had availability to, to listen and then I would talk it through and I would cry. Like if I had to cry, I would cry. And actually, instead of trying to fight tears, letting myself cry meant I actually ended up crying less because it, which it would have been fine if I cried all the time. But like, it's when you bottle up your emotions, then you can't stop crying or you always feel like you could be crying. But if you just let it out, then like your body knows you heard it, heard her in my case, right? Like my body would know I heard her because I'd, I'd grieved the fact like, okay, we thought the year was going to be this way. It's going to be something else. Okay. I thought I would not have to have as many intense fears about my husband dying. Okay. Well, apparently I'm going to have a bunch of them, right? Like I would just like give myself space to just feel all my feelings. And that's the the last thing is like in terms of how then I would really stop worrying, like stop the cycle. So I wouldn't constantly be looking stuff up. I would like be still with myself the way I have described other situations. And I'd say, okay, brain and body, what are you afraid will happen? And obviously then my brain would think of all the terrible things that could happen, including losing him, including seeing him suffer. And I would let, I wouldn't try and bat them away or say, no, 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 this is why those aren't likely and the risk is good and da, 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 because it was a kind of cancer that was high chance of cure, thankfully. But I would just let myself go all the way there, like really picture it and let myself cry and let myself really feel like, yes, that would be the worst. It would be so horrendous if if you lost him I will be there with you if that happens it's not happening now but yes you're right that would be so hard like it's a quote that I love I don't have it on me but it's like um brave people listen to fear and they say I agree I agree our fears are right it will be hard if those things come true if we listen to them, they don't have to keep yelling at us all the time. And that's kind of what worries are. It's just like them constantly being like, but don't you know this could happen? But when we just stop and turn towards our fear and say, tell me everything you're afraid will happen and let yourself really experience it. Like play the movie out in your head, feel it in your body. For me, 
doing that and letting myself really feel it and then being with myself and almost practicing ahead of time of like, if that were to happen, I would be there with you. We would get, we would get through it and it would be horrible and you're right. And I'm with you and I love you. And just like being so kind and loving towards myself. Then honestly, my brain would not want to worry about it as much because it would know, okay, well, if that happens, I guess we'll figure it out. So that means I don't have to keep thinking about it now. What is there for me to actually think about that I can do something about now, you know? And there'd be so many times where it's like, yeah, we're at the beginning of chemo. I could obsess and worry about what the outcome of this is, but that literally won't change it. So what happens if I just focus on what there is for me to take care of myself and my husband and my kids today, you know? And like the biggest thing that this gave me permission to do, which seems sort of strange, but you know, just like the, the permissions we gave ourselves with the pandemic, which was like objectively a horrible thing. My husband getting cancer, which was an objectively horrible thing, did have a gift of giving me permission to quit. So speaking of quitting, like it was so much easier for me to just walk away from a bunch of things, including like I didn't chair that board that I just talked about for several months and everyone was fine. I, I didn't do any evening meetings anymore because I needed to be the one picking up and dropping off, right? Like I needed to be the primary person and I chose to be the primary person there to get the kids home because what if Francis was too sick that day, right? So two things in that. So one, I gave my, myself permission to do it. I didn't have some like obligation like, oh, I signed up for this. I have to somehow figure out how to do it just out of obligation. I like checked. I was like, what do I want to do that's going to help me get through this time because it really feels me, So, which is why I kept making the podcast. I made a course during this time. I did my clinical work, though I did readjust and do slightly less. Um, I still did my teaching because those things I realized like those are my shining moments. Those fuel me. Those give me more so that when I'm home with Francis and the kids, I have more to give them. And then other things which I quite enjoy that are interesting projects that are I'm helpful to be a part of, I realize like, oh, they are not feeling me in that same way. And that doesn't mean anything bad about them or me. It means it's just not something I need to have in my life right now. So I'm letting it go, including things that I was really, there's part of me that's like, what would it have been like if I was more involved? But like, those are the things that all got to just leave, leave, leave. And overall, like one of the the main challenges I want to continue to give myself, because in this time I like, so I did like I, um, I shortened my hours and then I, I hired a couple NPs to like, to do those hours for me. So I would have all this space and sometimes I wouldn't have much. To, I would like finish things and be like, oh, I have time before to go. I need to go home. And as it turned out, as Francis went through chemo, he didn't get super, super sick. So I could have said, oh, well, if he doesn't need me, I better pick up all the other stuff that other people need me. But instead, I didn't. I let myself. I let my life be designed in a way to be under my max capacity. Like, and that it was revolutionary. I felt a lot of guilt at first. It was funny, even all the socialized guilt that I've deconditioned. When I like drove home at 3.30 on, on a clinic day, because, you know, I actually got everything done and I was driving home and I didn't have a very important thing to do. I felt like I was breaking the law. <laughs> I can't, I can't tell you. And that was like so important to feel. 
because like say someday I want to pick up more clinic hours I don't want it to be out of that reason for that reason that I need to I have to I other people need me like it will be because it actually fuels me so I needed to get rid of that socialized guilt by allowing myself to just truly decide to continue to work under my capacity and I had a reason that was helpful this is like well what if francis will need me so it was like a need-based reason but even though then francis ended up i mean he still needed me for a bunch of things but it wasn't as time intensive as it could have been he never needed to go to the hospital thank goodness but like it all of that could have happened and i would have given myself that cushion to manage it what if we all give ourselves the cushion to manage this stuff like the way a lot of our lives are designed there's no cushion for anything to go wrong Things are happening that are, we're working at 150% of our capacity. So bringing it all the way down to be, I don't know, I'm guessing my life's like at about 75% of my absolute capacity, which I know what it was like, because that's what I was working, especially 2021, when I first came back to work from my mat leave and doing all the vaccine stuff. I know what it's like to have a very, very, very full schedule and that I can do that and I can thrive for a period of time until it starts to go a little sideways. I don't ever want to go back to that again. So I'm really aiming for 75%. Maybe I'll even aim for 50 at some point, who knows. But like, what if, what if you really do that for your life? It takes a lot of, you need like support because our society kind of thinks that's not okay, especially if you're socialized female and have other marginalized identities. And certainly those of us in healthcare, we have, you know, we've worked well beyond our capacity through our training and through so many other moments in our lives. So it feels not okay to work less than our capacity but it is good. It leaves you space for yourself. It leaves you space to just be a human being. And it means then you show up to your work with gratitude and with delight. Not every day, you're still a human, but like so much more gratitude and delight. You can actually get there by just giving yourself the space to do so, you know? Um, yes, and then the, so that was one of the sort of lessons I want to share was life below capacity. The other thing that I did upregulate capacity around was receiving love and care from other people. So actually reaching out and asking for what I needed, having like multiple group chats where I was updating people and just receiving love and care from those group chats. Like I'm not someone I like to... I like to keep my struggles to myself. I'm not a person who... I can't imagine ever calling someone at 3 a.m. because I was like upset. I barely ever wake up my husband to be like, ah, I'm too upset at 3 a.m. Like I just deal with it myself, you know? And so the act of reaching out to people, um, one of the ways I got through the chemo times was like I scheduled one like visit with family or friends for me and the boys to, to get out of the house so that Francis could have time to like just rest and sleep. And that was a lot for me to ask, hey, can I come over to your house? Maybe other people wouldn't have. But that's like a lot for me. Like I was like rather either invite them over so it'd be the host. So I'm like doing more for them or wait for them to invite me to their house. So actually being like, hey, can I meet with you on this weekend? Are you free this weekend? And can I come over to you and not offer to bring anything? Just bring myself and be gr grateful to be out of the house and really receive the sort of service they were offering me service but like the the care they were offering me by doing that and then having to cancel a bunch of those because we were sick so it's like you have people all set up they like probably got extra groceries and then you had to cancel on them it's a lot and like my nervous system that so wants to be hyper individualized was like really had a lot of trouble with that and i'm so glad that i 
invited myself to still do it anyway and to keep doing it because I now feel so much more connected to people. I feel, I, I really believe I have deep friendships in so many places that I before maybe thought, oh, maybe we're drawing, you know, we're growing apart or we're just this kind of friend. But like, all you do is ask out and see what people will offer you. And then the other tricky bit of that was then people offering care that I didn't want and saying no to it. So like another kind of obligation thing. So, so many people wanted to bring food or start a meal train. And like, those are really nice things, but like, we actually kind of have our meal situation set up quite well, just in normal times. Like we meal prep on the weekend and then eat the same thing all week. And that works so well for us. And at I got stressed a couple times being like, maybe I should be saying yes to this or being so nice, but we like don't have a deep freezer. Like <laughs> logistically, it would be spoiled food. It would not be care. Even though it was caring that they were offering it, it wouldn't be received as care, not because they're bad, but because it just like wasn't functional. You know, it'd be like someone like, hey, can I mow your lawn, but we don't have a lawn. Like, and it, you know, I, my people pleaser wanted to be like, maybe I should pretend that this is something I like, you know, like when you get a gift you don't really like. But instead being like, thank you so much. And just receiving the care that was meant, which is I care about you and here's a tangible thing I want to offer. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I don't need it. So no, thank you. <laughs> like that was, that's a good skill that I up level during this time that I'm going to take with me for other things where people are so beautiful and generous at times. And doesn't mean you have to take what they, what they offer. You can offer something in return or make an alternative suggestion of how they can help you. Like, it's so interesting to explore that when you are so used to being like people pleaser and hyper individual at the same time. Or it's like, no, no, I just want to be helping you all the time. Don't help me. Oh gosh, this is so awkward, right? So that's like a big lesson I learned around that. And then, I mean, the last lesson, and this will be the end because... Um, this is a lot already um and it, it's it's cliche for a reason but like really having the person you love the most in the world go through something that could have ended his life like and i should say like uh, a few months ago now I, what is time but like a while back now we received the scan that showed that cancer is gone as much as you can know that there's something weird about that, by the way, where you're like realizing, like, especially from a medical perspective, you never know that the cancer's gone. So, but it's gone enough. It means he doesn't need any further treatment. He's now in, you know, surveillance mode instead of active treatment. And that is a beautiful thing. And seeing him come back to life has been so good. It's been so good. And I think I never want to forget, just like the lessons of the pandemic, you don't want to forget. This time, I don't want to forget, like, life is precious it's so cliche but it's so true like you do not know how much time you have for yourself or anyone else and that's like what makes this work so important to me because sometimes you look around at how we're all doing this thing this healthcare thing much less like society thing and it's like we have this one life can we be kinder to each other can we be kinder to ourselves we're hustling so hard to meet everyone's impossible expectations that they don't even really necessarily need or want. Or anyway, if it's not within us to give, like, what if we can just give what we have? And what if that can be good, you know? And I just, I want to spend so much more of my life figuring out the awkward, uncomfortable, 
enjoyment of just being a human being. That's I'm so glad I'm I'm taking a whole month off this summer and it's gonna feel I have no idea how it's gonna feel, but I'm sure it's gonna feel all the ways, including very selfish and very whatever. And I just think something like this happens and you realize like you just don't know. And why can't we? When is it gonna be our time if not now? You know? So Oh, I almost got through it without crying, but anyway, <laughs> it was going to happen. I figured um, that's the biggest lesson. And the thing that's going to really underpin the rest of what I do with my life, honestly, and my gratitude that he's still with me and how it's, I understand actually how cancer can break a relationship that was on shaky ground because there's so much shifting and division of labor and if you don't have that foundation of good connection and communication, it could be so hard. And I'm part of this Facebook group with like, you see how it does sort of end up creating more distance in a relationship. And I'm just so grateful for the foundation that I built. I'm grateful to Francis for him building his part and for me building my part. Not perfect. It's weird fighting with someone who has cancer, (laughs) but we did that too. But like, like the level of appreciation of just being honest with each other and just being honest about how we're feeling and just being honest and kind and clear with each other. I don't ever want to forget that as well, you know, and I just can't like our marriage is just totally different now. That's how I feel like in, in such a good way. And I think everything about my life is good now. And it's, it's, it's because of how I showed up to this thing that could have, you know, made so many things go sideways, but I have so much more gratitude for everything and so much more determination to really be so precious about what I do with my time and to do do with my life. And so just so you know, (laughs) doing this podcast is one of those things. And if it ever becomes not one of those things, I will stop it. So it will never be, and same with, say you're one of my coaching clients or something like I thought about that when I was thinking about this podcast, like I, I was, I coached a lot of people over this time. Actually, I was the kind of the busiest I've been in terms of having clients. And I just want all of you to know, like, I, some of the, the best moments I've had, like in terms of just feeling good and nourished was the time I spent helping other humans in healthcare, like see clearly how to choose themselves and reclaim their own humanity. You know, it was never, I was, you know, just to say, wasn't a burden. <laughs> I chose to do that. I also learned a little bit of like, um, I learned my, I learned how, you know, I had to put in a wait list because I realized like, oh, this is my max capacity, though I technically have more hours, but I wasn't about to start burning out on the coaching thing, right? I'm now I'm starting to get to a I'm going to talk more about this in another episode, but um, it all bleeds together. It's sort of funny, the arbitrary arbitrariness of like, arbitrariness? That's definitely not a word. How arbitrary it is to be like personal, clinical coaching, but I have a lot to say always. And so anyway, <laughs> it's starting to bleed over. Um, yeah, but that's what I will say. So for personal, like, and the way the personal then, of course, impacts every other part of your life because it's all personal, isn't it? (laughs) Saying clinical is not personal. Saying your work is not personal is actually a joke because you're the same person no matter where you go, right? But that's why I started with this one is because it frames the rest. Those are some big 
personal things that happened over this past year. Did I miss any other major milestones of things that happened? Oh my gosh, my younger one is toilet trained now. That was a freaking revelation. And was definitely the gardener versus carpenter came in so hard. I won't get into the details just even to respect my children's privacy, but we had a carpenter approach with child one and a gardener approach with child two, and it paid off so big. <laughs> it was so much fun, more wonderful. So that that was a huge thing that just happened a little while ago. But otherwise, I think those are the major personal updates and highlights and lessons that I learned this past year. So yeah, um, that's it for this episode. I guess um, at the end to leave you with sort of a, a summary and a question like, I invite you to do the same thing. I, I know often maybe people do it in December. And so whenever you do it, but if you're listening to this and you're kind of like, where was I, you know, last summer, summer 2022 versus summer 2023, how much have I changed personally or professionally over this past year? It's so important to like reflect back because otherwise we just are always moving forward. And there's so many rich lessons that we can be learning that will make moving forward easier. And especially that will make us more proud of ourselves for what we have done and to celebrate everything that we have brought ourselves through and created for ourselves in our own lives. And that's, that's why I'm doing these podcasts is for myself as much as for anyone else to listen back and remember, this is what I learned between summer 2022 and summer 2023. So with that, I will leave you all um, until next week when I'm going to talk more about what I learned this past year in my clinical work. I hope you all have a wonderful week in the meantime. And yeah, just take good care, every single one of you. And remember that life is precious. I would love to take this work deeper with you. Visit joanchanmd.com today and discover my growing menu of options for restorative medical education to suit your learning needs. I offer one-on-one coaching, customized workshops, and self-study courses that allow you to connect not only with my work on a deeper level, but also with other healthcare humans just like you. So if you want to start humanizing your work and healthcare to a deeper level and do it in community with others, please visit joanchanmd.com and find those options and what fits you and your life today.